0: today my esteemed guest is the nostradamus numero dose from north carolina Ooh, wow. <laughs> mr wren anderson wren
1: second dose nos
0: cheers cheers second dose nos <laughs> there we go there we go that's uh the that's gonna be the parentheses on this episode Ep- excellent man. second dose nose. let's go uh you're you're a north carolina booster that's what you are
1: i guess so yeah yeah, yeah well, three weeks later or how many weeks later
0: now? man uh that episode I, i've been having like uh youtube be stalling on processing my junk and it's still not up Uh-oh. uh so hopefully it will have be it, I, didn't, I didn't even look when i got home it will have be it will have been uh No, it made me so mad earlier that I couldn't even look at it when I got home. So I just, uh, I haven't even looked. So sure, by the time
1: these lovely people see this, they will have seen that.
0: That will, that will be up. Uh, They will have seen it. um,
1: Nostradamus Uno from North Carolina. Yeah.
0: So yeah. 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 There's no, there's no clever way to say the first one.
2: Like there is the nos dose or the dose nos the uh, Tim Galloway episode's up. Is it up on YouTube? Okay, yeah, six hours ago.
1: Do we want to just delete this beginning and start over?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I don't delete <laughs> stuff if I you're, can avoid you're it. Fine. Hi, everyone.
0: <laughs> anyway, so Randy we Anderson from Franklin, Tennessee.
1: I live in Franklin now. Yes, sir. I was born and raised in Wilmington, North Carolina, as Wilmington. you mentioned, and uh, that's where One Tree Hill was filmed. Oh. Dawson's Creek was also filmed there.
0: Oh uh, Dawson from the Creek and shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I grew up, I used to go like find where they were filming and like just yell so that it, they had to interrupt their filming because the mics are so sensitive for those scenes. And I thought that it's was very cool. helpful. I thought it was cool. I was a kid. I mean, I
0: think it's pretty cool because <sighs> now you can always say, "Bro, remember this one time when I interrupted Dawson's Creek?"
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We th- we thought we were being cool, you and were. now we're We
0: yeah. were. Dawson's Creek needed to face a little adversity. At that time, they were flying pretty. I high.
1: think that's. I think I was their test, and I think they passed. They kept it going. They did. They ended well.
0: Yeah, they sure did. Uh, James Vanderbeek. Uh, yeah, Dawson. Uh, Dawson from the Creek and shit is uh, <laughs> when James Vanderbeek was in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh-huh. and they they first stumbled onto him, and it's like, oh, yo, it's Dawson from the Creek and shit. There we go. So I will never ever be able to hear the word Creek or Dawson and that not pop into mind.
1: Yeah, brain. right on, man. A
0: little insight into uh how brains go wrong.
1: Yes, so. yes.
0: So you're a guitar player, you're a bass player, you're a singer, you're a songwriter. Uh, you're in the right place for that.
1: My man, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I also love gear, and I love beer. And, and uh,
0: you have quite a knowledge of both, and that is what this show is about. Uh, a couple go. of idiots bringing in smart people. Oh, <laughs> right.
1: nice, nice. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, yes, I play guitar, I play bass. Lately, I've been playing bass, uh, but also... Yeah, I haven't seen
0: a lot of, like... You gigging on bass, and then the, recently, that's all I've seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been fun, man. I just just, I, I went on a deep dive. That's actually a funny story. Uh, when, after the pandemic shut everything down, everybody started sending off mobile files, and when it used to get in a room together and make songs, now it's all like, hey, here's a drum groove. Can you play something on top of this? And then we're just basically emailing files back and forth. Well, I had a deadline for a I record. I love by the way. Say what? I love that by the I way. I love it too, man. It's been it's been It's a cool way to create. It's really really cool and it's just widened everyone's horizons. I started working with people in Hong Kong and New York and Miami and LA of course, uh, and more regularly than having to go out and work in LA and do yeah. that thing. It was like, oh no, I can just like set you up for next week off my, you know, Zoom meeting and everything. Anyway, long story short, sorry, I do that uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take a few rabbit trails here today. Um, but I was, I was making a record for a project, a uh, licensing project with me and my friends called Model Citizen. I'm the singer of that project. And uh, we needed bass parts done, and we're trying to keep everything in-house, and I was sending all the files off. That's wise. To my buddy, yeah, right. Keep it, keep it on the team. Keep the team tight. And uh, the mix engineer is like my hero. His name's Matt Huber, and he's unbelievable. He makes everything that I ever send him sound better than like anybody. And uh, no, no, no offense to anyone else I've worked with, but man, I just, I, I guess as a singer, I listen for how do people make my voice sound, and there's some ego attached to that. And the way Matt makes my voice stick out of a track it's amazing
0: it's not really ego it's just your vision
1: i guess so yeah yeah it's it's so fun to hear what he does to a if song what
0: you want your art to sound like is ego then sure it's ego yeah, i guess you can argue right. that at a certain extent but that's that doesn't actually sound, a good way to that it that doesn't sound like what you're describing to
1: me cool cool I'm, I'm obsessed with his talent man he's so so gifted as an engineer and a mixing guy
0: everybody you know uh, is drawn to different sounds and like different approaches towards you know, you, you know Depending on the level of listener, I guess it depends whether that's something they're considering or not. But mm-hmm. I, I would say that uh, to the nerdy and educated ear, uh, or the professional ear, that like that's something that a lot of people pay attention to. Yeah, and like there are dudes that are like Brendan O'Brien. There's other and there's other dudes that are like Rick Rubin, and you know everybody's yeah, like, sure. I just kind of like it all. So yeah, right. <laughs> I like I like different opinions. I like uh, different sounds uh you uh, judged on our jam earlier so are you uh you seem you like a lot of different sounds and i love styles.
1: everything man i've been just so distracted i think if you could put one word on my musical career it would be adhd and i guess that's an acronym of four words but
0: that's true uh, <laughs> i was gonna let
1: that slide <laughs> or uh i don't know anyway uh i was i'll send files off to matt huber my beloved sound engineer, mix guy, and uh, I sent off. I just had a bass lying around. You know, everyone's got like the Mexican P bass. That's what I had at the time. And uh, he asked for bass files, and I didn't know what to do. I just plugged it into my interface and I tracked some parts and sent it off. And he messaged me back. He was like, "Hey, man, like this, uh, these tones kind of sound like crap. Can you come in? Like, is there any way like you'd feel safe coming in and and?" playing the stuff on my rig and I was like I I was really stung I I wasn't used to anybody telling me that I sounded bad and I you know with guitar it's like I got my thing I know how to make that sound pretty good and and do all the things and all the tricks and the, the pedals and all the gear and all the different amp for different gig all that thing but I really didn't know what I was doing for bass. So all of a sudden, I got this guy that is like my hero telling me I sound like crap, which it makes it hurt even worse when it's ah, someone you respect stings, and love. Stings. Matt, I love you. I'm giving you a lot of credit here. Uh, but basically, it sent me down this rabbit hole like, okay, how oh, do man. I send away good bass tones? And so then I was like, you know, looking at plugins, watching YouTube tutorials, all these things, and just absorbed into this world of bass. And then all of a sudden... Playing live bass after telling people that I, yeah, I'm really having fun playing bass. Like if you ever need a bass player, blah. So starting playing live, and then uh the the emotional arc as a bass player of like carrying the song, you play with different drummers, and some drummers are waiting for you to tell them where to go. Other drummers are just always hundred percent, and then you get to kinda, you know dip in and out of a dynamic range to carry the song either up or down there's all there's all this weird chemistry that you never listen to when you're a guitar if player you,
0: if you haven't done that chair of the gig you don't really realize how important it can be and you don't always have to line up every note with the kick drum or whatever the drummer's doing but if you two guys can't You two guys, if if those two chairs,
1: the rhythm section
0: cannot listen, are not listening to each other, will not listen to each other. uh, You'll the the pocket will never, never be a Genko. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. But anyway, it's it it just introduced a whole new set of problems to me as a guitar player primarily, and as a songwriter. I'm thinking about the melody. I'm thinking about the lyrics. I'm thinking about if I'm not in a songwriting chair. I'm thinking about. How do I like complement the melody, and how do I add energy, and maybe, you know, bring the melody to the next level? All these things. And- so,
0: what was like your what was your first when you were first having to make these tracks? Like, did you have a particular thought about how you were going to go about that, not knowing the bass, like, you know, kind of where it sits, and like. E- you, you kind of know because you're a musician. You're obviously a professional musician. It's not like you've never heard of the bass guitar before. I will but say... having to execute, you know, did you have like a a particular th- thing you were going to try to do?
1: Yeah, I will say, I mean, this was like for an indie rock project and all the bass parts that I had played ended up on the record. They weren't the wrong parts and they weren't even necessarily played wrong, but I just didn't have a good signal chain. Then I'm like, okay, what happens when you introduce tubes into a bass signal ch- signal chain? Um, can you get by with the UAD plugins and all these things that are like kind of quick, uh, common professional etiquette? It's good enough for the record. Or what? How much more do you gain? I, I bought a UA610, the original tube unit. I've got a Palmer DI, that's a tube unit. The PDI I, CTC. I got one.
0: Dude, it's amazing. I found one and I didn't buy it. And the next day I was like, no, I'm buying that. Gone.
1: Bro, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't find them. I, I got can't one find them. i got one we'll talk about it i'll just let me buy your p bass but anyway nope, <laughs> nope. um i started getting all these two preamps You're Neither and, pete
0: sternberg or I, or brad hill or any of the rest of you guys trying to buy it
1: oh man what a great what a great bass you've got man it's a Good bass. um so anyway i started like just like okay obviously most of the bass is not heard in a track it's felt right it, in it dip- general
0: hit, so this is something that your uh Nostradamus Numero Uno kept saying anytime we asked him a question, and it maybe like really think about how true it is. Every question that we had for him about like approach or gear, he always just would start with, "Well, it just depends." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and that's a big depends. It, it really does depend because if you're if you're playing like let's let, let's say you're playing a grungy or gru like a broken down like raw rock band kind of a, a a track or you're playing a 90s country song like those are two very different bass feel sounds and like tones and like that at least that's what i thought so i'm sorry that was uh, my my wheels are turning. in Yeah there. yeah yeah yeah. Um, Let's go. I I was listening to uh, Jerry Flowers tech check his bass rig one time, uh, and he plays the whole show, or he did at this time. The whole show had uh, what I would call medium overdrive on his bass tones, and these and he's sh- playing sheds, and like when they would go between the two and sound check, it's like. It was just like somebody turned the amp off and you could feel it, but you could not hear anything. Mm-hmm. The way the bass set in a mix like that, that was like my one of my first realizations because that was about two years into me playing bass that I heard him do that. Yeah. And I, all that to say... Uh, it depends, you know, There's of a lot of whether you depends. feel it or you hear it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's really fascinating because I, I, you know, I was trying to get into this world bass. I was like, I'm going to get a bass that's been upgraded and all these things. So I was like, you know, I want a five string. I was I was going to play for uh, this gospel artist uh, named Dante Bow at a church conference and, uh, and a uh, church down in texas called upper room so it's church music not everybody would know who that is but the people who are into that genre probably know who those two people are and those two artists and um i was like where is
0: that where in texas is upper room in dallas i don't know upper room i've never heard of it i've lived in dallas for decades and played in the church scene
1: kind of new um i would say on the like church singing their songs
0: not too many decades i'm not that old
1: yeah, this guy looks young for 45 <clears throat> or whatever. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, they're, uh, they, they've got a lot of songs on the scene for like, I guess, charismatic churches singing now. So um, amazing place. I've been down there a couple of times, but I was playing uh, for those two at this church conference at My Church Legacy Nashville, and I was like, I want to have a five-string bass. So I was like a gut-wrenching, like, I, I'm so... Uh, reckless. I just make decisions and then I live with the consequences. And so I went out to the spot I bought this bass and in the shop plugged into their little like 115 guitar guitar center whatever uh An it sounded eater. amazing. Yeah, it was like I don't know what it was. And then I took it and I played it on a big sound system and it just sounded gross. It sounded so muddy. I couldn't hear a single note it was so disgusting to me that i couldn't hear what was happening and then i started to realize like i i st- i thought first of all that i just hated the pickups that were in it they were a common uh, i'll just say it i don't have any i don't have any affiliation with the company they were Seymour Duncan baselines pickups which is a very common aftermarket upgrade for 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 basses and uh and then all of a sudden they just, what what's they, the line uh Seymour what Seymour Duncan baselines, baselines. It's, it's just their base pickup okay and uh, and no like i've played some amazing seymour duncan pickups but i i didn't (laughs) understand why i didn't like them and here's where the depends comes in because all of a sudden i'm like oh wait i'm playing on a great big sound system with subs and the low end is too much and there's not enough in the mains and the crossover is throwing all the frequencies down to the subs not enough up to the mains and that way you can't hear anything but then
0: like an array or something
1: Yeah, an array sound system. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, the reason why the bass lines are amazing is because they make a small, portable bass amp sound like subs at a big sound system. But then, when you actually put bass line pickups in, in my opinion, this is all just opinion, but... I realized that when I took those baseline pickups to a big sound system, it just was muddy and it got lost.
2: Overcompensation. Is in a way, it depends on where the crossover is in that particular system as well. Exactly.
1: There's all. There, I guess there are a number of different uh, factors at play that are out of my hands, but I came to find out that when I'm playing on really large sound systems, I prefer a lot of the bass energy to be through the mains. And there's this like, weird mid-presence that you have to look for as a bass player to be heard Bass is as the hardest thing
0: to EQ because you can play rooms that look and like feel identical and turn on a ba- your your bass rig, yeah, and it's you have to EQ it, it just as night and day as the rooms are similar, you know, yeah. and that that took the longest for me to figure out. It's like I can't do an ears scenario. I don't know great bass players that do it and always sound perfect and i don't know how they do it but they play in an ear setting with no eq other than like a volume and a tone like on a, yeah. like a p bass or something and i it's like you like tossing me an anchor if i'm drowning like if i can't if i can't eq because if yeah. i can't if i can't hear the bass right like i I've cert- I cert—I have a hard enough time playing when I hear it perfectly. I, so if I can't hear it, like I'm just I'm, I'm all thumbs, you know, and I yeah. can't lock in. And-
1: well, that's kind of the thing. usually, you you're used to showing up with p bass or a passive bass or whatever. You're used to being able to like.
0: Plug into Roll it. Roll
1: the tone knob yeah. down to where it feels like, oh, this feels good in the mix. But with the Seymour Duncan's that I had in the sound system context, the room context, everything, the just crossover context. so much
0: information to it the There was cells. so much
1: low and sub that it was just like, it felt weighty and a problem. It felt like a problem yeah. in the mix. And so, but then that's exactly why it's the perfect Broadway bass. It's the perfect one to go to a small room, plug into a small amp. And fill, it up. and fill it up immediately without having to boost the 80 and the 250 or whatever is usually like yeah. the first thing the sound guy does to make it feel like warm and subby and so it, it is a it, it was a lesson for me because i was so new to it i just thought i had a preference until i stepped back from the preference and understood like oh no, no no there were so many different factors at play there is just a it depends.
0: Well, and there's a third factor that we haven't even talked about as far as bass playing is concerned. And that is how you play a song like you should, in my opinion and in the general consensus opinion, play a bass line in a arena or a shed or a stadium or a really large theater or any, any large room with a lot of air moving around yeah you but you have to play that way differently than you would play p bass into a 410 and a shotgun bar in new york yeah, yeah, you know yeah, on yeah. a funk gig or something right that, those are two extremely different air spaces and when you try to play uh, a busy line in a big space it's like None of that comes across, and it just ends up sounding. The yeah. subs are
1: just going.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and People I are have, like
1: on the back of a motorcycle, like a Harley Davidson. Well, it's,
0: it's more more importantly than that. They're like, uh, you you can feel it, but it, you're obs- you're obscuring your own your your own pocket by doing yeah, that exactly. because the air can't start and stop those those giant subs throwing exactly. gi- you know big waves out there. It it doesn't. It just doesn't react the same, and I I had Excellent. to have a drummer uh, when I you know when I first uh, Billy's when I first started playing, It was like, hey man, you can't do and then basically say what I just said, and I was like, okay, never never considered that. Yeah, and right. That that cha- you know the EQ thing for me. This is just my own personal experience. That the EQ thing and like learning how to treat each room both from an eq and a playing standpoint yeah made me a lot happier with what i was able to yeah
1: my man well and that brings up a great conversation too is like how valuable is stepping outside of the moment where you're playing and listening to it in context how valuable is that to actually choosing something better to play next time or totally you know and uh when i was when i was
0: we talked about this last time uh get watching game tape man you got to watch game tape exactly exactly how do you grow how do you know you, you you know in the moment but then a bunch of other things happen before you get to a place of reflection in the moment you can't reflect right? yeah 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 yeah
1: it's so crazy man cuz you know you can dial in the perfect sound on your amp And then, you know, your delays are trailed, they're just mixed in perfectly, and then you hit a compressor too hard in the signal chain, and now the delayed signal is all of a sudden as loud as the main dry signal, Mm -hmm. and then you've got to tweak everything, and is it like, you know, you might gut wrench, reach for the delay pedal, and tweak that first, and maybe that's the right thing to do, but also, like, think critically, like, oh, I probably can like, turn down the compressor a little bit, let some of that. You know, flux signal get through this. Do let the you dynamics use the get through.
0: compression live on guitar a lot.
1: Um, not necessarily after the fact. In fact, because of COVID, I think most of the stuff I'm doing now is in a studio context or in my home studio. You know, I've got the Ox um, rigged up. I've got third power amps. I've got a divided by thirteen that I really love. Um, a bad cat uh, that I really love as well. And uh, you know, ju- I got a Champ that I bought off Michael-, Michael Britt. It's an amazing little tiny speaker that just yeah. feels right and sets right in the mix. Champs
0: music. mic up great. I mean, you can't, you can't do Gosh. a single gig with one unless it's a solo gig. I know,
1: but... I, I know. A, but man, a Vox
2: used... AC4 that does the same, Yeah, a, a, has the same effect. It sounds terrible on gigs because it's not loud enough and it's always too overdriven. But in the studio, it sits just right.
1: It sits just right, man. It's got no like unnecessary low end. And then it just kind of fits between like the snare and the cymbals. It's just,
2: yeah, man. You don't have are. to do anything to it. Right? Yeah,
1: and uh, so that's that's been fun, and and yet like the because I'm just growing as an engineer, this has been the process for me. It's like, oh man, like I was so happy with the tone I had in the room, right in front of the amp, and then I, you know, you I have a, a Universal Apollo, so I'm printing off everything that I've got in the line, and then I get it on on tape, and sometimes it's like, ah, oh, I should have just not printed that compressor to the signal because it messed up everything and it's so gross now. And now it's become a game of recording everything without delay basically and then figuring out how to work my plugins to sound like the pedals that I'm so familiar with. And, you know, when you've got pedals that are as good as they are, like Strymon delays are th- as good as it gets. Uh, my buddies let me borrow the Universal Starlight, which is also as good as it gets. Yeah. Like all these really convincing sounding tape units or, or analog units. It's like, man, I these are so easy to get the perfect sound. But how do I approach it in the DAW so that the producer I'm sending the files to has a little bit more freedom to adjust the mix the way he sees fit, as opposed to him saying, like, hey, I love the part, but the it's a little too wet. Can you give it to me dry? And then you're like, oh, I have to go play the whole thing again and
0: reset everything. Well, and more to my point, he and I have been talking about this a little bit. It's like a certain amount of the magic is lost to play a part totally dry like that. It is. You know? Yeah. So. I guess it's one thing if after the fact you 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 play it down and it's all wet and you like you have your part or whatever yeah and then you can just like learn that and be able to play it dry and go back and do it that's one thing but at least for me to create and I'm often creating by myself in a room yeah uh, I I have to find inspiration amongst the the Skynet of gear that laying around, you know? Yeah.
1: And that's, and that's for me, that's been like, you know, how do we stay relevant, you know, in an age that's like primarily digital sending off files. And there is something less inspiring about pulling up a plugin and then just like clicking little knobs to the right point to see if it sounds good. So what I do is like in my spare time, I'll find like the perfect sound on my pedal board, and then I'll literally set a, a, a test for myself. How close can I get it to sound in the box to the way that inspired me live? And that's when the uh, the UA is really valuable, because then you can turn the speaker off. Yeah. You can send it directly to your studio monitors so that all that you're hearing is what the amp is giving that. I've actually been running the Palmer DI after the UA. There's something that happens. and How,
0: how um, do you run it? That
1: So I'm 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 doing amp into the UA, and then I'm sending the UA to the Palmer, and the Palmer, the tube in it just like makes everything feel real again
0: you, to me. Uh, so so you're coming out of the app,
1: but between between the output of the UA, the, the mono aux, out,
0: okay. And there's
1: it's very subtle, right? But there's something. My buddy uh, Michael Pope, he's a session guitar player, great great guitar player, and he was running his UA into. A pair of like five twelve prees or something like that, and uh, he was like, "It it just fixed." He's got words for it that I don't. He was like, "There's like this two k three k range in the mids that doesn't quite feel real on anything digital, like regardless of what it is, if it's digital, there's this like weird mid thing." And uh, he said, "If you put it into a piece of outboard gear, and he was running his through five twelves, I think, or ten seventy threes, maybe, it just." Cleaned it up, made it everything feel natural again. Um, for me, I've been doing that with the Palmer, and it for me it saves it. It's like, oh yeah, like I used to like feel like this weird muddiness in that like really important region, especially sure. if the vocal dies out and it's just the guitar. It's like that thing needs to be really tight. So you're saying you use it on your guitar signal? I've been using it on guitar signal as well, and and again, it's all to taste. And there are probably people that can work the UA apollo and know the know the digital preamps and everything there are probably people who know that stuff better than i do and can get that kind of synthesis and organic feel through that stuff but i just gotta like i I know that i'm the guy because i'm so imbecilic when it comes to engineering if it sounds great when i'm plugged in i'm gonna play great if it sounds average I'm not going to be inspired. And same, for the same reason that you love playing with your pedals, if I'm not inspired, I'm probably not going to come up with the best material. So my constant search is, how am I going to get this a little bit better? For me, I found that a preamp or a tube box between the UA and the interface adds this, like, bloom that you can't get when it's plugged straight in.
2: No, what I what I wanted to ask you is okay. You you kind of mentioned outboard gear, but um, have you ever, for example, thrown your um, your delay in, uh, like in an out, as if it were outboard gear? Yeah, um, like in
1: an effects loop. Yeah, or... and then you
2: record like a a, a wet channel or um
1: i haven't thought to do that yet but i think i probably got to get smart like that that sounds like something i need to try
2: so the other thing i was thinking is like you said you have uh you have an aux and and like i love the aux but one of the issues right is that it not it's not stereo so like one of the best parts about either of your delays is and, and i can't remember what you said you had, but i'm sure it's amazing you know you have several delays and you've got that big sky um that are printing stereo or sending stereo Yeah, they're effects. sending stereo and then you have to basically sum to mono when you use the aux so it's like do you throw it in the the effects loop or do you sure. like you reamp it you know
1: i think that's a great question and i think what usually it comes down to is Almost no producers that I work with currently want a stereo guitar signal, yeah, most of the time it's almost always no, can you give me left and right you know single mm-hmm. take mono, and then in that context
0: uh like a, a mono file or a left and left and right mono,
1: left and right mono so two tracks, two tracks,
0: okay, that's how I always track and Same.
1: in which case you know the delay really is you got to really be light with it. And then almost like, I I know guys that are like, just send it to me the way you like it. And I, and they trust me. And then working with a new producer, that's terrifying. It's like, no, 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 no. Like I'm going to give this to you dry. I'll print it usually. And again, that's why the whole DAW scenario of like plugins that work well, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'll put, um, the most convincing, uh, sound toys, delay and reverb on the signal that I send that I can personally manufacture that sounds like my rig. Mm-hmm. Um, the UA precision delay is amazing, too. Yeah. And, uh, like, I'll, I'll get whatever I can get there. And then almost always, though, too, that producer is going to send it to a mixing engineer, and the mixing engineer is going to be a second head to get past yeah. for the the wet signal. So what I've come to find out is that almost always... I'm going to track dry for the sake of the process, unless the producer is in the room with me and says, yes, that's perfect. But you're monitoring wet? Monitoring wet. Yeah. UA into Tube Pre, mm-hmm. into the DAW, and then I put the plugins monitoring live.
2: Which is one of the great things about UA because you're not using. It's fascinating. Uh, it's yeah, the, I, I it's I the mean, best
1: thing. You know. Using DSP process. from
2: the from, uh, from I don't the know Apollo. if you have an Apollo or a <laughs> or
1: Usually, I'm not using the Apollo for the delays though because mm-hmm. I I'm like I'm uh, recording to Logic or I use Logic, but it could have been I use anything. Logic as well. Um, so then I'll just have the plugins We're on it, a logic and then family right on. Let's go. Um, I'll I'll leave the plugins monitoring live in Logic mm-hmm. and then I'll print a stem without the plugins but then also with the plugins active. And that yeah. way the producer can kind of, can kind of hear what I liked and what I thought was good. If he has a better more organic sounding tape delay that he wants to reamp it through, he has a dries too. Blah, blah, blah. But again, that process so is- So the
2: live monitoring, what is your solution? That is my solution. That's a good solution. That out. Yeah. That's, that's essentially what I do. I was going to ask you, like, whenever you, for example, let's say that you, you're you with the homies uh, doing sync licensing stuff, mm-hmm. and you want to send it to your, uh, your I can't remember your name, but your friend who's, you know, like your hero, mix engineer. Matt Huber. Matt Matt Huber, like everybody, hit him up, man. i So, like, if you send that oh, guy tracks, you're sending like anything that you did demo wise, just to make it sound good to you. You're taking it all out. You're zeroing everything out, panning, uh and and signal wise. Yeah, and you're sending him everything completely raw, and then maybe you send him like a rough Your mix. print as well. Yeah,
1: I'll do. I'll usually do two folders because yep. people like. Uh, People don't like to have a headache figuring things out. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the best advice for guys that are listening that are like, how do I get into this mobile session thing? It's like, make it easy to understand, like just organize your files that way. People are very
2: obvious where to drop them in, and they're right where they're supposed to go. So, what are the two folders, and what is in each folder?
1: I'll just say, like, you know, and it depends on because sometimes I'm tracking bass too, and I'm programming all these other things. So, I'll just say, like, master instrument tracks, acoustic guitar folder Mm -hmm. within the acoustic guitar. Uh, each file name will be labeled whether it's a direct like pickup signal because sometimes that's useful to certain producers Mm -hmm. or a mic signal, and then. Mm Um, after that, you know, like acoustic guitar, D I left acoustic yep. guitar, mic left. And then, um, I usually will put after that, like if, if I have to break down the song into different sections, I'll put that last. So acoustic D I left chorus.
2: Oh, for sync licensing, are you breaking it down into different sections because they might Absolutely. want to cut it up? Into...
1: Yeah, cuz so much is done on the back end. Like so much yeah. is like manipulated, especially like if you have ever worked with a licensing house too, they want stems that they can mute, that they can blah blah blah. Everything is so like piece by piece. You know, I've had songs on uh do you know the company Neo, the the Mm -mm. It's a a Chinese car company that is the biggest competitor to Tesla. It's an electric vehicle company. So at their worldwide global product debut, they played a song that my friend Taylor Matthews and I wrote and produced by a guy named Todd Clark in town. And the cool thing about it was the song, the, the whole commercial begins and you're like, this sounds kind of familiar, but it's not quite. They had hired a composer... To take our stems and extend it out to like a seven-minute product debut video, mm-hmm. so five minutes of the video is not our song at all. But yeah. because the guy had all the different stems, he could basically piece together a similar enough thing that it became this. He
2: made a seven-minute
1: synthesis exactly, it's like almost
2: DJing and your
1: piece exactly R- and R- 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 remix so exactly so in the context of licensing especially maybe not even like maybe more so than you know country productions that are radio geared that are they're they're aimed towards radio listeners or um like any other like playlisting like like less artist friendly but more sync friendly right yep. um it's so important to have files that you can mute and build an, an emotional arc, even that exists outside of your vision for the song. Sounds
2: right. very similar to the... Um, I used to build uh, Ableton tracks for churches. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds very similar to that exactly sort the of Exactly same vibe. idea. In yeah. fact,
1: I, I work a lot with a company called Musicbed, and their primary demographic... Uh, they have two primary demographic, church videographers and wedding videographers. Okay. So because that is like my primary... Uh, licensing house I guess is the best way to say it because that's what I make the most music for that's kind of why I do the process that I do mm-hmm. like Makes I sense. have um, I've made my process the most friendly for how do I make sure these stems are really obvious so that if someone in China sees the song and is pulling apart the stems they can read everything and know this is exactly what that part is. And they're
2: is. like, "Oh, I can I can do a lot with this thing." Yeah. So it's not even it's not just the quality of the music that you're putting up for licensing, it's the utility of Absolutely. What you put up. That's really interesting, That's man. A I had no idea to work. about that. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, and I think, you know, maybe you guys know who Craig Alvin is, or not. I do not. He's, uh, oh, he's another legend engineer. He's maybe, like, the biggest hero of mine. I'm obsessed with people who can make sounds feel like something
2: i am very much into that but oh what a nashville. jedi
1: skill set right and uh so craig alvin he's an engineer he worked on casey musgrave's golden hour if you guys have heard that record oh
2: yeah you know what i know who that is i was just reading an article about him today
1: he's amazing yeah oh i'm obsessed anyway he was actually one of the big reasons i moved to nashville i worked on a record with him and he was so kind and just like hey man because because i went to school at Belmont, and I didn't tell anybody this, but I kind of left town with my tail tucked between my legs. My guitar professor just told me that I would never make it as a musician, and I believed him. And what a
0: I, dumbass that guy is. Well, I, you
1: know, I failed I failed the school. I failed the music school there, and uh, I couldn't read music. And I, what I like to say now is that, you know, I made it two years before they figured out I couldn't read music. And it's like, I had such a good year that I was faltering behind the system, but still sticking in the game until they made me sight read and it was just a disaster. But I left town thinking this guy's right. That told me I could never be a musician. And a couple of years later, I, um, I was, I was working on a project with Craig and he's so sweet, man. He's like, He's so funny. He's so gifted. It's like, you know, what more can you say about the guy? Everyone who knows him, loves him. And, uh, and he's so great in the tracking environment. There are these, when you do it for a living too, you start to realize like some people have this extra gift to make it pleasant and fun. And the, some of the, the funniest people in Nashville are the, the full-time session players. Like there's something that's, Extra about how enjoyable they are to be around. Craig's one of these guys. And uh he he asked me, he was like, Hey man, like would you ever move to Nashville again? Like I think you should give it another shot. And that earworm just stuck in my head, and that's the reason why I'm back. Like plain and simple. So love you, Craig. And uh I'm trying to think of, of why I started love telling you, Craig. this story. <laughs> Why
0: did I start telling this? It story? doesn't matter.
1: Oh man, because we're is a talking podcast. about
0: things don't have beginnings or ends. It's, um, so not, it's, uh, it's just ever evolving.
1: Yeah. Well, the one thing that we can talk about is uh, I I know exactly where I was headed. it. So I worked on a record with him that he was gracious enough to to mix, and uh, it never actually saw the light of day, to be honest. But the one of the reasons why the whole process was really disorganized, and I, when we sent him the files, and he called me, he was like, "Man." He was like, what is this? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I just opened a session with like 80 tracks. He's like, they're labeled so poorly. It's going to take me three hours to even understand and rename all these files so that I can mix them. Yeah. And it was a really big come to Jesus moment where it was like, oh, wait, if I want to be doing this professionally, like I'm going to have to change the way I do things. Yeah. And um,
2: do you write what Mike? Used Or do you, do you just say D.I. or Mike?
1: Uh, I'll just say D.I. or Mike. Okay. Uh, if if the producer's really curious, like, you know, some guys want, like, the ribbon and the sm Some guys 57. don't want to
2: know.
1: Yeah, other guys don't care. You know, it's it's a big thing. And, you know...
0: Yeah, they just hear it, and they're like, I'll do this to this sound.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and what I've learned a lot is, you know, most of the time, the 57's good enough. You know, yeah. it's like... Yeah. Uh, The ribbon mic is cool for some dimensional bloom, but it usually gets... Like, that that thing that happens with a ribbon, because a ribbon is basically an eardrum, you know? So, like, it fluctuates differently at different frequencies, and that's why it, like, pulls it into 3D. I never have heard a digital preamp interface scenario that actually captures a ribbon the way that it should.
2: I've got... Uh, I had a ribbon on your guitar today. Yeah, uh, I pull it. I usually pull it back somewhere between three dB and five dB compared to where the fifty seven is at. Yeah, and then it's off axis. So like, nice. the ribbon does the job that it does best, which is capture the low end. And yes. the fifty seven does the job that it does the best, which is capture the high end. You know, it's, it's center cone, and uh, but I agree about that ribbon thing, man. Like, I I actually have an analog preamp at my house, and sometimes I'll put a 57 without the analog preamp, and then I'll run the ribbon through the analog preamp. Yeah. For that reason.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, man, because it's like, it's not, I I don't know how to uh, describe what I'm hearing, except Saul Philcox, he's a great guitar player. Has he been on the show? Yeah. Yeah, Saul's amazing, man. You hear
0: the day that uh, he got his guitar stolen at eight and got him back by three.
1: Wow, yeah, what a everyone in Nashville was like ready to go to arms for him.
0: You are listening to the gear and beer podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Bobby jams kitchen. Want to take your home cooking to the next level? Need new recipe ideas or meal inspiration? Like follow and subscribe to Bobby jams kitchen on YouTube and Instagram. At Bobby Jams Kitchen. Cook your food and eat it.
1: So, uh, Saul comes up and he's, he's, posted something about how when he's recording to get like a dimensional effect to his mixes, he's had to change up his gear. And I I don't remember exactly what he pointed to and what he was saying, but it caused me to like inspect my digital emulation stuff and be like, okay, what, how is, how is what he is saying true about what I've heard? And I've had that frustration where it's like, I'll work with guys who work all in the box and, and, there's some amazing plugins out there and don't get me wrong. Like there's so much probably that I don't even know that I can't speak on, but what I am speaking on is what I've experienced. And it just feels like everything that's happening is all right in front of you. And then there are guys that use outboard gear and because of the way everything's routed, I did a record in Kansas city in November with a guy named Jared Logan, who's an amazing drummer and producer. And we tracked for a whole day with all of his outboard gear turned off. And then he turned on the next day, he just routed all the signals to his outboard like selections that he just used as clean prees for all the different sections and all of a song, all of a sudden this song that felt like mushy and weird and, and we just listened to it and it sounded like it just came to life. And we're like, what all he did was he turned on the feature in pro tools that routes it to his outboard and back in. And there's something that happens, and it's like, I only call it three-dimensionality because that's what it feels like to me. It's like you can hear sounds, and they're all just coming at you, and then it just sounds like noise. And then all of a sudden, like everything is separation. Well, the listening
0: space is left and right and near and far, right? Yeah. And there's, there's a whole spectrum of where things can sit, both left to right and near and far so that's a huge landscape to like put things and have things come out it's wild and uh you know again i i'm extremely novice mixer uh, myself and engineer uh, and just uh i'm not a novice at playing and creating parts i'm a novice at doing them myself and i I constantly i'm asking him questions yeah yeah you know and he he likes the in-the-box thing from the producer's standpoint. And, and right. I get that, and I understand how that totally makes a lot of sense. But that only makes sense to me working with everyone
2: somewhere else. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, so- I, I, I think uh, in... in- The context of you and I talking about it, it's usually got to do with delay or reverb, and it's because of the moldability of doing it after the fact. Like, if you give me uh, a signal that has delay or reverb attached to it, whenever I pan you... As a guitar player, I'm also panning your delay and your reverb, whereas right. I may want to pan your dry signal, but I may want to keep your wet signal stereo, stereo which is why the way, the, so. the aux in particular presents so many problems. Yeah, sure. You know?
1: Um, and then you just
2: gotta get a few of them, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> just get a few grand.
1: Well, then it comes down to also you can maybe I mean the, it's a line level out of the aux, so you could throw it into a stereo delay pedal and then take two ends to your interface, and there you go, you fix yep. the problem.
0: So it's like you know a bit, that's something that I literally have not even considered.
1: There you go look at us gentlemen just figuring things out On so
0: the i'm definitely going to figure out which mic i like send one of them through the reverb and one of them directly into the interface and just i'm just going to start doing wet and dry of each part and that's a great idea because yeah. uh, you know if if somebody's you know i don't send a lot of tracks out of here uh i do some and usually i just ask what is like tell me Tell me what you are expecting from me, yeah. as every player always does from whoever is asking them for the track, and I'll ask. You know, I I have asked. Do you do you want me to give you dry, or do you want you to you want what I hear? Yeah, and. Almost every time, it's been just do whatever you want to do.
1: Right, right. Which is scary when you're working with someone new, but there are those yeah. guys that just trust you. And and when you have that relationship... Well, it's
0: almost like they're calling you for a reason. They, yes. There's yes. Generally. Now... If you're working through a website or something where it's just like somebody that you don't know finds your page, somebody recommends them to your page, and you, you see your samples or whatever, and they're like, oh, that's the kind of vibe I'm looking for. Let me send this guy work. That's one thing, but yeah. I, I don't know if you do any of that. I, I don't. It's something I'm into sure. that, or that I've been looking into, but, but haven't actually done. I know dudes that do that and make a lot of money and make a lot of cool, like, cool art and do a lot of cool work through sites like you you mentioned music bed earlier Musicbed's awesome man. well there's a bunch of other sites that are similar to that that are just like uh, for tech savvy artists who are looking to do something different with whatever they're generally pretty electronic and like yeah. whatever project but there's something
1: are you thinking about splice maybe is that kind of what you're thinking of or no other? I forget
0: the name of it man um there there's a, a, a one in particular
2: and since I can't think of it there's literally no way I'll ever will what's, the, what's to... the church one is it it's not music bed there's another one I feel like
1: I don't know of another one yeah music bed is the only one okay. to me music uh, bed you're my only one
2: a friend
0: <laughs> of a, a family friend worked for this other side i just can't remember what it's called
1: yeah i mean i'm sure there are a lot of different places there's another uh i mean the, the licensing community is kind of endless like it, it, it is such that's a something um, i'm
0: definitely trying to get into that's kind of where i see myself going my man well
1: let's talk about licensing for a second what do you want to know As if I know anything at all. Uh, I will talk about, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this. So my buddy, uh, his his artist name is Deraj, D-E-R-A-J. His name is Jared Wells. He's a rapper. London, you mind making a note? Yep.
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say
1: say that name one more time, please. Deraj, D-E-R-A-J. Jared, spelled backwards. Oh, okay. Amazing rapper. Um, Man, he's been in like NFL ads. He's been in movie trailers just i mean as one even if he wasn't in that stuff he's as cool as it gets his music is amazing and then also people recognize how cool he is and he gets the success that he deserves um but i was talking to my my buddies today and he's doing this um tutorial on what to do if you're in licensing and how to get started and all this stuff and i was thinking about like Oh man, like there are some there are a lot of people out there who want to know how to get started. And um you know, check out his stuff. It's it's D R A J and I'm not sure how specific it is towards hip hop and rap that he's doing, but it's probably not. It's probably pretty generalized and stuff that anybody can glean from. But one thing I have noticed over the years cuz the first time I was ever approached to do any song for licensing was probably 7 8 years ago. And uh, it was a company uh, that I shouldn't mention, but a, a really large licensing company, one of the most successful, I would say, in the entire industry. And one of their reps contacted me, and they said, "Volkswagen." Hey, uh, no, no, no. This is a this is the actual music licensing company. So not not a company that needs music. It's, it's music.
2: Pfizer, isn't it? The
1: people that no no but,
2: mobile? I No, no, no. Check it out. It's <laughs> not like an Anthony actual Fauci's label.
1: It's it's kind of like a it, it's a company that is the liaison between me and those companies, if that makes sense. So the people that like basically connect the parties, they, yeah. um, they, they get the phone calls from ExxonMobil, from Pfizer and, and all these people. And then they are like, hey, we have the perfect song for you. Check it out. Um, so I got a, I was approached by one of those companies and um, they asked me like, hey, can we wrap your stuff, blah, blah, blah. I basically went in this trial and error thing of like, you know, trying to write songs to briefs and like, Hey, we need a song that says this. What do you got? And then I would like write a song that day. That was what I thought they needed. And man, I did that for months and nothing like no luck at all. And then I started to realize, well, wait a second. Like I've had six months of these emails every day that I'm reading. And there are like consistent themes like, Oh, there are things that they always need. So then my buddies and I, Taylor Matthews being a big one, and uh, we've worked with Dirage together, the three of us have worked together, and with another friend of mine named Evan Gibb, we started writing songs that were like, that felt production-wise like the requests that we were getting. And we were like, "All right, well, if we can make a song that we think is cool, that nobody's asking for, then we'll just put it out and then if we put it out and we think it's cool and it kind of feels like all these things that are that people are asking for like let's just do it for fun because we can do it all ourselves and then see what happens and basically because of that adventure of like i'm just going to make songs that i think are cool and songs that like feel like this certain genre that's necessary or that's asked for in in this era
0: you're you're taking the extremely pinpoint idea and giving it a, a a swipe with a a large brush.
1: Yeah. And, and honestly, man, like what happens is after you have a little bit of success, then you are approached to do the hyper specific things. But if you're Mm -hmm. trying to get into it and you're writing to the hyper specific briefs, chances are you will be last picked because they already have these large name artists that are also within the selection choices or whatever. Sure. And they're going to go for name brand awareness in the same sense that like, you know, kids in high school want to wear Nikes. Why? Like they can get rack room shoes without a brand that are, you know, made in the same factories without the label, but people want brand name awareness. And it's, it's kind of like a little bit of a psychology game where I remember I was, uh, I was on hold for a, a, I'll just say it. I don't think I'm getting in trouble for this. I was on hold for a Disney movie trailer, mm-hmm. and what it, movie? Um, yeah. It was a. Uh, it was one of their Disney nature Goodness. films. It was about dolphins. Okay. And I wrote the song with Evan Gibb and Kenny Fleetwood on Green Dolphin Street. I don't remember what it was. It's uh, not that. If you guys remember, I mean, it was released. It was out, and uh, it was like we were on hold. We were basically told we were going to have it, and then. What? Who come? Who beats us out? Like it was on hold. Ed, Ed Sheeran. Yes, literally Ed Sheeran. So then Dolphin th- Reef. Like how funny is it that you guessed it off the bat? Like they're going to go for the Ed Sheeran because they can get Ed Sheeran. And then I was on another movie. Um, I, my voice was selected for uh, a film with Matthew McConaughey called The Free State of Jones. If you guys have seen that movie, that's I out. Um, so originally they were asking for a song that was going to make it into the film. Um, they needed a white male soulful singer. The producer, uh, he's a legend. He's, his name is, uh, oh my gosh, of course I'm going to forget it right now. David Foster. No. Oh, man. It's so embarrassing that I can't think of his name because I'm just Isn't nervous. Helpful
0: for me to just list David Attenborough?
1: Um, regardless, maybe I should just keep it nameless. I'm going to keep it nameless. Yeah, sure. But these legendary people asked me to sing this song, and I flew out to L.A. They flew me first class. I sang it. It was in the movie. Was, all the contracts were signed. It was there. And then the director decided, oh, you know, like within the Western film genre, there's always the guy who takes out a guitar and sings in the middle of nowhere desert. And he was like, I just didn't feel like my, this modern movie would make that happen in a way that didn't feel cliche. So the, like it was signed into the movie was going to happen and the money was going to be awesome. And then nothing. And it was like two big, like almost, you know, really big checks. I can't even say, but like two almost amazing, uh, Posters on the wall, right? Then they just fall through the cracks, and it's like,
2: but you take you take twenty of those swings and you get one.
1: Maybe, yeah. There are there are people who do that, Um, but for me, I was so frustrated by those things happening. I was like, man, I'm just gonna write cool songs that I love. Yeah. And if nobody else will sing them, that was another thing. I moved to to Nashville to be a songwriter, so it was like, if nobody else is gonna sing these songs. I'll sing them.
2: Like, so this is where Model Citizen came from? Is that Yeah, it? Model
1: Citizen's a project. I sing that project, and uh, Taylor and I write a lot of the songs. Sometimes my buddy Evan joins in. We're, we've just been homies for a long time, and we just write songs together all the time. We just know how to work well with one another. Uh, we'll usually pull in a producer for that, so okay. um, we'll either pay out the producer if that's what they want, or we'll give them like a percentage of the song if they're interested in that. Now that other songs have been successful... Um, which is, it's really nice. It's kind of like, you know, rather than having all this upfront cost and then just, you either lose it if it doesn't do anything or you get it back in greater reward if it does. But, um, we've kind of figured out that kind of
0: an arc too. It's like at the beginning, that makes the most sense. And then as you go this way, the sense of that starts going this way Mm -hmm. where it's just like, let me just pay you up front. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's evolving and it's always evolving. We're, you know, Cause then there are also times where we think a project's gonna be awesome and then we'll make songs and the the producer will be in on a percentage base and then the songs don't deliver the way that another project within the same moniker did, and then it's like, Oh man, like we don't want to bum out this producer and like take advantage of them. So like we'll pay pay them outright next time. And we've done that, and it's kinda like this it's there's no rules, man. Like we're all just figuring this out. Like
0: Do you create both instrumental and Vocal music? No. Huh?
1: No. Big no. You want to know why? Why? Looking at the camera, dramatic effect. Because the market is so saturated with instrumental music, it'll never get chosen. Now, here's what's funny. You ready? If you write a song with vocals on it and it's selected, the vocals will be muted immediately. <laughs>
2: Why? Because they don't want to pay some sort of extra royalty for vocals, or what was the it's, deal with that? It's
1: just the I, I can't really pinpoint the psychology because I'm not a music supervisor. But imagine you are a soup, and imagine your job is to listen to twenty songs that you want to select for a particular movie scene. Think about how fatiguing that is, and then think about how, like, many thousands of instrumental songs are out there. They don't like. They don't want to listen through that. I don't know. Maybe maybe they do. Probably
2: becomes indistinguishable.
1: Well, I think that's what it, I think. You're fighting too many similar artists, yeah. and when you have a vocal persona, and and this is what I believe has been truest about all my success is people read a title, and if they click on that title, and in ten seconds the song doesn't feel like the title, they're going to the next song because they've come to the equation with a specific need and then a specific idea before they even click you of what they want to hear cuz that's what the, it's all need based they're they're trying to build sonics around what the director or what the company is trying to promote
0: so is the majority of what you're writing aimed in that direction or do you do you guys uh i'm sorry what, what, what's the name of the
1: model citizen is one anderson is another that i sing uh a uh, part of a project called Sodven, which is a very european sounding uh falsetto like lush cinematic strings based that's sung by my friend evan gibb um also a project that we have with taylor so it's so like adhd man like like let's go back to it like you know, I'm a part of R&B songs. I'm a part of country songs. I'm a part of rock songs. I'm a part of folk songs. I'm so, a part of-
0: I, actually, my my question was going to be so sure. like, do you specifically write for pitch houses, or are you writing to? Uh, well, so I guess that's a good question. It's a two part question. Are yeah. you writing for a pitch house, or are you also writing stuff that your uh, same pitch house is trying to? both put in play, in playlists and uh, both on uh, YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music and, and all that? Yeah. Are, are, is the answer probably yes to all of those things? Well,
1: th- that's actually a good question because, you know, different songs do more in certain environments. It's kind of like, would you put uh, Captain D's Seafood next to uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? Probably not because it's in a different neighborhood, different clientele, different demographic, blah, blah, blah. And, and there's not like, I mean, there's an inherent. Some people want
0: diarrhea, others don't.
1: (laughs) I mean, there's, I don't want to like, I don't want to build it upon like any sense of dignity, but I want to say that like certain things sell to certain people that others don't. And when you're making a song for radio, for instance, and it's all about love and it's all about like what this person means to you, that's not going to probably go very far in an ad space or in a, in a show right? like shows might want sad songs. They might want things, the exact opposite emotion that a radio song wants. You know, the radio wants upbeat. They want like jamming guitars and a lot of energy. And if it's not that they're not going to place it because they don't want to l- lose listeners and people on their drive in the morning to work, are, they want upbeat. They want to get going. So there's like a, there's a certain need inherent totally. to the outlet. Spotify playlisting is really fascinating because all of a sudden, like the polar opposite of what is doing well in the country music scene as far as like number one radio single, which is what everybody in country wants. They don't care about streaming numbers. They want the radio hit because that's the most money. Right. right. And let's let's start and end there. Most people just care about the money that the song is gonna make. And, and and
0: that's evident in a lot of the writing and in a lot for of, Nashville. It's it's evident based on the the business model alone. Yeah,
1: which is like, you know which is fine. and uh, what industry. was that last
0: time that did good? Oh, let's do that. Let's let's how can we how can we repackage that? Mm-hmm.
1: And that's like you know, at some in some sense, it's soulless and it's artless. And at the other sense, it's like wow, if I'm going to try to do this professionally, I need to understand that that's someone's motivation and. I can benefit from giving them what they want, even if it's not what I want to do with my art and with my vision for my musical career.
0: I think that you just said something that makes a lot of sense. Understanding the motivation Mm -hmm. of the person that you are trying to convince that your shit is cool, right? Right. That's something that a lot of people don't think about. And for me, I kind of... It's depending on what I'm doing. Like if if I'm doing something for myself, like I'm always doing it for myself. And then I'm listening back and I'm saying, is this more than just for me? Yeah. Right. And if it is, how, why, and what's, what is that? Yeah. And that's kind of where I am. Cause I just have all these like. And again, it's it's instrumental music, and I I don't have any like delusions of grandeur. It's like I'm going to put out this record, man, and everybody's going to play this and <laughs> blah blah. But um, it's just like I'm going to do it, whether anybody listens to it or not.
1: Right. Well, the cool thing that's awesome now about like you know maybe this is like maybe an insider scoop, but like everybody's looking for minimalist, very calming sleep music, basically. And people who are putting Musical that out, ASMR, yeah, basically like music to relax to. I mean, there's that's kind of where I'm at. There is a very specific request and need for that in today's climate, so I'd say go ahead and do it, man. And uh, I,
0: I'm doing it no matter what. It's just like it's a matter of how hard I lean, yeah, in that direction, yeah. Because I'm like uh, you know I'm trying to do the programming drums thing just a little bit. It's not my favorite but it does there, there's something there's something about programmed drums that's such a part of the modern musical vernacular these days that it doesn't feel as contrived as it once did or it doesn't sure. have to yeah. and uh, all, all those all those things make me more open to all the different possibilities now but it all it all comes down to me like I even when I'm doing instrumental music, it's like if I hear my girlfriend singing it downstairs or something, it's like, okay, I'm on to something. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and that's where I'm at with the music that I write. I'm not just like doing a bunch of tapping and sweeping. Uh, sure, or sure. Some shit. Like, I, I, you know, I try to make the music for me, take that music and shape it for whatever i envision it going
1: right and the cool thing about the music industry you know if you strip it from all of the like you know gatekeepers and all the people that are like you know letting you in based on whatever reason they're reading because there are some really sincere people who are not money-driven at all and I i would hate to paint those people that way but strip strip the way the business works away from the equation and just take why people make music and why people make art, and there are so many different motivations in that. There are there are people who will change their motivations to try to get into that fence over there to get are into that. Are gamekeeper. you
0: like the, the root motivation?
1: Yeah, like I have learned for myself, and basically what I'm aiming at here is that if I can say something clever and funny or sincere, if I can make someone cry. Like if if by the words I have selected I can affect someone uh I can't remember who That's more than
0: just music though, that music though, that's like that's that's poetry. That's
1: yeah. To affect the quality of one's day, that literature. is the hall ho- the what is it? What's the what's the quote? Ugh. To affect the quality of one's day, that is the highest of art. That's one of the dead guys. I can't think of who it is, but
0: it's it's absolutely, Henry David Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau. It's absolutely correct and concise, but depending on the person, like, uh, me walking by you playing a dope lick in a bar on my way to or from a gig or, uh, popping on the Jazzy Vibes playlist on Spotify and, uh six songs in it's yeah it's a very specific kind of music that you're listening to six songs in uh some wicked line slips through the algorithm and i'm like yes you know and like yes then i'm excited that kind of thing excites me yeah so i realize that there's a lot less people like me than there are more like me but it leaves me to hold out hope that you can make art for you and if you as a professional i i mean yeah know all the things that that you've been talking about and that we t- try to talk about on this podcast under understanding the both like uh oh, what's going for the uh the realistic climate of the thing that you're trying to do yeah that's that's one of the corners of the triangle, understanding the climate of what it is you're trying to do, connecting with the people in whatever it is that you're trying to do, and then actually creating something worthy of the first two things that you've already if if you can if you're lucky enough to figure that out you know yeah what
1: I mean? yeah it's crazy because it's it's just an equation that you have to figure out man like the Picasso was Picasso before the world saw him and like uh, Marcel Duchamp who is kind of the opposite Marcel Duchamp was a painter he was an impressionistic painter I guess you could say uh, was 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 painting things like the the I can't remember the staircase that was his really famous one. And his art was so widely circulated and discussed amongst the art critics, which were like the Rotten Tomatoes of the day. They were like a pop culture phenomenon that everybody was going to the newspapers to read what the art critics were saying. Everybody was going to figure out what was being premiered at the World's Fair and all
0: these things. They're the modern day or the... Not modern day Joe Rogan's podcast. Exactly.
1: That's a great way to think of them, man. Really, <laughs> truly, it is. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And they're wanting to see, like, what what is to learn about today? What are people talking about today? And Marcel Duchamp, like, completely a legend, turned a urinal over on its side, and in the guise of the highest of art at, I think it was a World's Fair, and uh, I can't remember exactly wh- where he debuted it, but all these art critics are around and ready to write this up and send it to newspapers across america across the world they see that this highly anticipated event is a toilet and then all you know they just go haywire everything goes crazy and marcel duchamp intentionally was saying something to the art community which is these critics don't get to declare what art is i do because i'm the artist yeah let's
2: do this these and, are and by questions. hit play I mean Bad I'm gonna to hit record, which it's already recording so just hit
0: whatever, man. Just uh don't just don't hit any kids and don't hit any ladies. Amen. Hit the slopes, bro, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, hit, cool. hit them
2: streets. Hit the showers, maybe. Showers, <laughs> bro.
1: It's probably time to hit the showers. Hit
2: the showers. Bro. I'm gonna hit the fucking reset on this recording if okay. you don't get started. Hit the reset. Let's
1: go.
0: Hit the reset on these recordings, bro. If we yes. don't get started. Red light reset. I used to be a real piece of shit. Nobody, <laughs> no Tim Robinson. What anyone? was it like to change? Tell me how, please. Nobody. Okay, that's okay. I'll t- we'll talk more about that later. Okay. okay. Rin. Anderson, see, I have for you these questions more than three. Let's go. Um, the first
1: one is Metallica or Megadeth. I'm going to answer this in the most disappointing way possible. I've never spent time listening to either.
0: I didn't ask that.
1: It's true. I would say, by logo alone, Metallica, man, it's iconic. Understood. So dis- Fair. I'm so disappointing to everyone watching now.
0: No one oh. cares. Okay. Everybody just wants to know new things about new people. I will
1: say this. Uh, I remember being at a bar in North Carolina and they were playing that the latest Metallica record, which was recorded with like the orchestra. Uh-huh. And I remember looking to my friend and asking him, what is this? This is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And he was like, it's the new Metallica. So I would say Metallica for that reason. Imagine
2: go. Dragons or Imagine Dragons. <laughs>
1: Can I turn off my imagination for this next question?
2: Everyone just Please. turned off this
0: podcast. Yes,
1: they did. Yes, they did.
0: <laughs> um, my next question is jazz Ooh. or Ooh. metal? Ooh. Of course, I don't know if you noticed the theme. We're starting off with some either or
1: questions. I'm going to go with jazz, man. I never really was a big metalhead, as evidenced by the last question. And
0: that's fine. And uh, I would... those. I mean, those two those are founding fathers of metal but but by buh, but by no means what i would consider metal like metal these i got gotcha.
1: you i got gotcha. you yeah yeah yeah
0: but they they're definitely no. the <laughs> conduit yeah yeah, 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 yeah no yeah. car no car bomb they're no car bomb which is this podcast's <laughs> favorite metal band because it's my podcast
1: oh my man
0: Lyndon also likes them but i don't know that he would call them his favorite <laughs> they are my current favorite metal band out there doing stuff
1: nice
0: and we're gonna take a road trip to Birmingham and go see them let's hey come on I was dude. gonna say let's go
1: but I don't know <laughs> if like, I want to go to a metal show I'm going I'm gonna, I'll go to a jazz <laughs> show with you
0: after this I'm going to play you a car bomb song okay deal. and then I'm gonna play you those mixes
1: um or just snippets live or session session man I love the and to answer your question. I used to hate putting in ears in and hearing a click and not everything feeling like it was in the room. And then all of a sudden, when I like adapted to that, and I realized that the possibilities are endless. You show up to a live session unless you're playing like a solo, like the thirty seconds of the song that you get to do whatever you want. And nowadays, it's usually you just play the record solo, so it's like it's not even anything that you made in in the studio. If you are the guy creating parts, it's a totally different muscle and that muscle is the one that I want to take with me to the grave. Like I'd rather create and then forget and make something eternal that somebody else has to play than play something that another person was creating and then all I have to do is just do it. Like there's there's no like soul to finger connection in playing something someone else wrote. But when you're in I the- don't agree with that. I would let you disagree.
0: For you I would let you just, I, I would, I would say I would, I'll let you have that. But yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's nothing like the connection of execution in a live setting, whether it's something that you wrote from your soul or something you play with your soul.
1: Yeah. Because yeah,
0: yeah. there's, there are two different things, but... But it, in my opinion, it kind of feels the same, does it not?
1: I, I guess uh, for the people that it does feel the same, that's probably why they love live playing. For me, it's never felt the same. And that is why I should say from my experience, I feel a deeper connection to the session environment.
2: No, that's Man. fine. I'm just being devil's advocate. I love that. To, go, to go back to It to depends. It depends. Yeah. Well... You know, it depends, depends on it who depends. you're playing with.
1: It does. It really, yeah. truly does. Like, like
2: I, I, I play with an artist that the producer and the label and, you know, uh, the, all the other people that matter more than me uh, expect me to play every note from, you know, every solo of the songs that we play. But also, the artist loves that me and the other guitar player can play and like make stuff up you know and improvise. by the way this
1: guy really can play lindy you can play well man You're You he's not on the record here playing but he's
0: smoking <laughs> well we've we did stuff i just i haven't i haven't i've got a bunch of good gear and beer gmb jams i've released two two minutes of 40 minutes worth of jams yeah. from all the episodes i just haven't exactly figured out what to do with that content yeah yeah you know what i mean sure um the one that we let's did make was this guy famous we did, we did two he's the <laughs> only he and i did two we're just like because we're homies from way back so like we usually just sit around and just do that yeah no cameras or nothing we're just like except for instead of uh you know two takes of two songs at four five minutes a piece we would play the same song for 45 minutes and then move on to the next song yeah you know sure sure yeah. just like really
2: working shit out and like playing yeah, fold full, yeah. Full on giant steps we, for we,
0: yeah minutes, and know? we need and we need to go back to that i'm i'm ready i'm in i'm in practice mode i'm I, too man i'm like rededicating myself to become a student of the instrument not just from like furthering my harmonic uh, man
2: enjoyment of life
0: yeah, yeah well and just like i you know i'm about to start Going back and like relearning all these Rush guitar parts that I loved, just because I love that band. Yeah, and they're extremely counterintuitive to how I play guitar. Sure. So it's just like going out there and making my brain do something it it doesn't like to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, No one literally. Do you guys need a
1: bass player? (laughs) Literally, no one
0: cares about what I have to say. Uh, Speaking of bass player jazz or precision. We already that. went through oh, this. Oh
1: man, this is an easy answer for me. I know that there are some who would claim that with a jazz they can cover every genre. They can roll it to the neck pickup, turn down the tone stack and then all of a sudden to the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a thing, but there's something about that beefy uh, I actually a great bass player in town. His name is Leland Nelson. He came around. Oh, to my dude, house. I know Leland. You we know play Leland? together a lot. Incredible yeah. bass player, yeah, right? We just played like just insane, killing, and can do all the things that I cannot do as a bass player. And he's insane. But he picked up my precision bass that I have, which has the big 1.75 inch nut, whatever. Basically, feels like a baseball bat in the hand. And he was like, "Oh man," he was like, "I'd have to play a lot slower with this bass." And I think the the personality I love picking
0: up a bass and feeling like that, yeah. The Leland's personality, got some chops too. Leland man.
1: has serious chops, man. Yeah. Like literally, like but just, he's a J bass guy, right? J bass guy, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and I think the the Boy, way God. that I'm so confident with a precision bass is like I'm just holding it down. Like I don't have to play. Like a guitar player on the bass, or whatever you know what I don't have to play with melodic information. I am just a bass player with a precision bass, and because I lack confidence, that is what makes me feel safe
0: i you but you are playing with like. With like harmonic uh, consequence, though. Oh, for
1: sure. I mean, there's definitely like an art to. Uh, in fact, if anyone else is watching and wants to know the most valuable like five minute YouTube tutorial, Keyboard,
0: operative word if
1: if if anybody cares about bass. <laughs> you now, <laughs> now three people are going to actually go go YouTube this the Rick Beato bass playing tutorial. Oh, he is okay. a legend. Yeah, man. he's
2: a he's amazing man.
1: He's incredible. The five minute whatever it is, it's like maybe seven minutes tops. The five minutes, seven minutes, whatever it is that he does his little like tips to learn on bass. It's the most valuable, hmm. like, single sit down session you, you can spend in a, front yeah, of. I'll it. put a link to yeah, it. Please Absolutely. do. Honestly, like I I texted Tom Bukovac. He's a he's a legend. He's also a friend of mine. I was like I was like, man, have you watched the stuff that Rick is putting up? He's he's putting up thirty second videos that are changing the way I think about music. He has also got, uh, I mean, anytime I need to do anything in a session, I was uh, uh, miking an acoustic guitar the other day, and I was like, what am I going to do with my signal chain with what I have? And I just went straight to YouTube. I clicked Rick Beato, how to mic an acoustic guitar. In three minutes, I was sending off the best files that I've ever sent of acoustic guitar because it was a producer I'd never worked with, and I knew, like, this has to be like something that he knows is perfect. It's not something that I can send st- to my buddy you send because something that stands out. You yeah, want to call yeah, back. exactly. It was a, a oh. producer that I needed to impress, not just be like, "Oh, this is good enough. I can work with this," because I trust the producer's mixing skills. It was like, no, I have to make sure this is mix ready. Rick Beato, man, what a legend! And uh, he's
0: got a lot of information.
1: He he's, dude. What does he not do? He's like. Producer, mix engineer extraordinaire, he doesn't guitar die. player extraordinaire, bass player extraordinaire, and uh, he
0: seems to like uh, and like whatever. I, I would love me too, but he seems to love himself a little harder these days than he used to.
1: Man, but here's the thing: when I watch him, I don't get his personality as much as I get this guy. His personality is transparent to his skill like set. I still watch him is-
0: interview too. Like I watched the Metheny interview and the Sting interview
1: oh okay i haven't seen that yet
0: well he well they're not the same but it, uh he it within a couple of weeks released an interview with pat Matheny and uh i'm
1: trying to get him to do one with tom that's what i was texting tom about i was like really? man you need to have him interview you like
0: you totally he totally should man uh you know who should interview tom bugovac that's me no let's uh, go no but he should he should come do this i'll bake him some bread and buy him all the rolling rocks you
1: listening to- tom He's, he's like he's like you're going to have to get some more rolling rocks, man.
0: I I got plenty of rolling rocks. That's what he rocks. would say. I got plenty of rolling rocks and uh I will give White Mountain a run for their money cuz I'm a baker and I'm <laughs> also rough. uh a man of uh Importantly, aptitude and i
2: know what good bread is yes. food, food and beer is the currency on this podcast Honestly, that's true
0: man uh, there's Seriously. chili to be had let me ask you a few more questions let's go let's, let's go, go downstairs yeah. and have chili that has now been uh, simmering for about five and a half hours
1: Ooh, it smells so good you guys single coil or humbucker? i'm a single coil guy here's the thing you can always roll back a single coil's toe knob and get something close to a humbucker it's not the real thing really but on a gig and even in the session, man, I think I can get more of these like larger than life dog hair frequencies that to me make all the difference in feel, right? Um, out of a single coil, makes difference in
0: mix too. Absolutely. That up, upper... I'm a single
1: coil guy, but I love people who are humbucker guys and I or girls. I mean, whatever. Like that's an idiot thing to say.
0: Guys, gals are non binary. Yeah, yeah,
1: taking the taking the '90s lingo into the new era, but like. People who I was quoting Jake love... Kenji
0: Alt. Lopez. Oh, nice. Lopez Alt.
1: People who prefer My humbuckers, goodness. like, they've figured it out and they've got their thing and I don't want to take that away from them. I think, for me, when I pick up a humbucker guitar, it's with a smaller speaker. 10-inch speaker, 8-inch speaker, whatever. All of a sudden, I feel right with it. Let me ask
0: you this. So Let's go. So, you just generally don't use them.
1: I, I don't. I, have... I'm, I was
0: just posing it like, a, you have to choose. I, I'm a... I'm a... Equal opportunity, like what, what? What kind of pickups you got? I that, think. Can what kind of what can we do to get a? And I don't really. My guitar collection doesn't really reflect that.
1: So actually, let me talk about my guitar currently, and not that that's like, like whatever. Maybe no, this sounds, thing
0: rules. It plays great. So soft V.
1: The reason I love this guitar is because the bridge pickup on this guitar is 10k as a single coil, which is basically a broadcaster pickup. So it's oh. like an early 50s telly wind. Um, the middle of the neck are more fifties era and, uh, they're run, they're wound by a guy named Ron Ellis. Some people will know who he is. Some people won't. He's got a legend of his own.
0: Any, any, uh, fidelity nerds will know who that is.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and you know, I have four sets of these pickups because I am grossly obsessed and, uh, you know, they cost way too much money to have that many sets of his pickups but then once you have them and once you play any other guitar it's just like what's Mm. missing and uh, and and he's ruined me for that so I wouldn't say necessarily single coils in general I've played some really good single coils Mojo Tone makes some great single coils Klein pickups make some great single coils I got
0: got several I love Klein's
1: Klein's. I've, I've had a few guitars with Klein's and I've always regretted when I've sold the guitars but that's the life we live
0: I almost sold my PRS before I put Klein's in it
1: oh wow you put Klein's humbuckers in your PRS? 58
0: and a 59 PAF before he had the machines. Smoking. That have that. So he was making these 58, 59 PAFs. Uh, and then he bought this machine to like correctly make the corners of the covers. Oh, wow. Like that that kind of a detail. Yeah,
1: obsessed. I you think, can tell I, that guy's obsessed.
0: I think that the machine cost him like $30,000 too. Um I have pre that machine, non-wax potted, 58, 59, as authentic as the man knows how to make. Yeah. And then in my my old workhorse tele, I have an American Standard 2000-something, 2000 uh, 2005 or something like that. I put his Epic 52s that he modeled after Brad Paisley's 52 telly pickup yeah. that he sent to like five different labs and have them like, analyze all the composition of all these different
1: parts yeah, and shit. that's what ron ellis does he's a comp- that what he does? he's a, he's a chemical analyst by day and a pickup winder by night oh, so he puts wow. things under like electron microscopes all day long oh wow and then you, you know that's discover
0: what he- the true makeup of whatever yeah. it is you're trying to replicate i mean that's the game yeah and, and there's you have all that kinds kind of, of equipment at your disposal. probably makes it easier.
1: I've never talked to Ron about it, and I've never talked to Chris, which Chris is doing like crazy stuff. Like he's sourcing. I don't know. Especially made. made but he's, he was originally in
0: Denton, Texas.
1: Um, he, I mean, I, I think he's a legend in the sense that I've I've played some pickups from like, oh no, this is the real thing, and I've I've gone through such a black hole of pickups. I've got selections. I've got
2: pickups
0: over here in my drawers. That are so old and so early in the beginning of his making pickups that he does not even remember them. Wow.
1: I'll buy I, from you. And I've, and I've yeah, got it in insane. this, in me this black
0: Mexi Strat from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, they are pickups just labeled vintage. And he's like, Vintage? <laughs> He's I like, think I uh, don't know what that is.
1: Right, uh, I think man Ron Ellis makes the best pickups in the world, in my opinion. And I've tried everyone who's like said that there's someone else who does it better. Um, I think Klein, Chris Klein is doing amazing stuff. Is that Chris Klein? Am I thinking yeah. of K-Line Guitars maybe? But I, I might be mixing up the names. There's a bunch of
0: Chris Kleins.
1: Um, but Look, if, Chris who,
0: Klein is the name of the guy that does Klein pickups. So
1: Chris Klein pickups doing Formally something amazing. At
0: least up Denton, Texas,
1: amazing dude. I mean, freaking crazy. Um, what's the British pickup? Bare knuckle. I think those are some of the best pickups in the world. I'm
0: not familiar with those.
1: Oh, you got to check those out. They they they're amazing. I'm gonna do it. I got you. And then um, there's one other that I was thinking of, and I can't remember.
2: Wait, say the British one again.
1: Bare knuckle pickups. Bare-knuckle. Okay. Um, barnacle pickups. The barnacle. Oh man. And the barnacle. Oh, the barnacle the uh gosh there's one other and i can't think of who it is now but uh if i think of it i'll remember anyway those
0: if, if you do think of it you will have in fact remembered. i do
1: like lawlers too i like lawlers believe it or not but i there's
0: I got, a, there's lawlers in my nash um that i don't like it so i have a tk54 you know that model yeah the, the keef or whatever uh-huh. the humbucker in the neck so my buddy boo podcast uh, episode number one guest and my buddy mark letary podcast episode number five guest we all have the exact same guitar yeah and both of their neck pickups which are supposedly the same sound better than mine so i'm pissed
1: oh money that's funny but they're all Um, lollers. they're all Lollers
0: typically sound really good i feel like the ones that he used to make for Nash back when two thousand seven touching guitars.
1: Yeah. I was,
0: I was going to say even as, fu- as recently as like 2010, 2011.
2: Dude, the ones in yeah. my 2010 are fucking clutch.
1: I had a, I had 2000s, a, a Nash a oh, 2012?
2: Track. 2010. Oh, yours is a 2010? Yeah. Mine's a 2012. Uh, I
0: don't know. I know things were different about the, the process at that point, but my guitar is still... A, an amazing guitar. and I, it I, is. I actually, I bought it because I was like, oh, really? That price? Oh, I'm buying that? that guitar and is the shit, man. I had every intention of reselling it and then I was like, yeah, I guess. I can't.
1: Oh, I can't Arcane. This. That's it. Arcane pickups.
2: Arcane pickups?
1: Arcane experience pickups, man. Those were insane. In fact, uh the reason why I got led onto them is because Tom Bukovac, we were talking about pickups, which... What a nerd question. But he was like, man, if you ever find like an original set of Arcane, those are absolutely ridiculous. And I was like, all right, man, I started listening to sound clips online. You can hear it even on YouTube videos. If you look up Arcane Experience Shootouts, there's some videos of like one Strat with seven different pickups in it. And I can't remember who made it, but thank God for that guy. And the arcade I've seen sets. videos like
0: that. That is that is quite the undertaking. That's some right. effort right there. Man. That is some niche video making. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously, man. For guys like us.
1: Uh, but you know, it's worth really... at
2: forty k. <laughs> For real. And and there's this
1: whole other realm of like like humbucking guitars. Like there's probably the best humbucking guitar pickups made by someone that I don't know. You know, I've I've had a set of Tom Holmes. Oh, Bill up a... there
0: in Flint, Michigan.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Bill Lawrence.
0: No, I was just. Say... Oh. I was just, uh, that was... That's somebody else. I, no, I was just like saying, <laughs> uh, this guy that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, sure, man. It's, it's such a weird... I created a character. His name is Bill. He's from Flint,
1: Michigan. Okay, right on. Well, uh, I mean, there's a whole other world of pickups, basically, but because I love single coils, and I answered your question the way that I did, I have been on the hunt for what is the best single coil. And for me, the Ron Ellis fifty sixty set with the Hot Bridge pickup is like the ultimate. And I have... Two more sets of this pickup set because I love it so much. And the funny thing about it is, have it, you tried putting it in a tele or something? No, I haven't. Should you should I should get weird with that? I should get weird. Um, but what I what I love about it is
0: because there's a lot of there's a lot of different kinds of single coils, not just strats.
1: Right, true. And um, I have a really great Danocaster Telecaster that I love. It has the the buds tele set, the buds Dano set. And oh, okay. it's like two magnets or whatever, like the Alnico five on the bass three, and then Alnico two, I believe, on the unwound three. Oh, and uh, it's also overwound. It's another broadcaster like bridge pickup. And I actually bought that guitar from Bukovac, and he it was the one that like made him sell his Esquire. It was like it was a good enough Telly that he sold his fifty two to uh, Dave Cobb. Dave Cobb. So then he thought he would never get rid of the guitar, but then he sold it to me, which thank you, Tom, again. But it's awesome. And the, that's maybe my favorite Tele Where I got
0: this Marshall from was Tom. Oh nice, man. I swapped him a a a, a chieftain.
1: Right on. So but I went surging for strats strat picks are such a thing, man, because I put the buds in in a strat and it wasn't right for me. It was a little too um I will say that for a softer body wood, I had an ash body strat. It was a little too bright, Golly, and I think on an alder body it would have been right. But I just it wasn't right for the ash body strat thing, which is what I love. And uh, again, so it's very open A sound. lot of depends, man. A lot of yeah, depends. Yeah, That's
0: the way it is. And I appreciate your in-depth thought about my silly questions.
1: Yeah, sorry. Speed? No, my, <laughs> this, be, we're, we're trying to wrap up here, guys. No, we're, we're still
0: going to uh, real quick. I have like three questions left for you
1: i bet you get two out of us
0: um no because one is a okay so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna these we're done with the uh either or so okay you may All be right. right maybe there's only two okay let's i want to start with off the top of your head no deliberation three desert island records go
1: Records, oh, wow. Um, Off the top of my head. I know this is going to surprise a lot of people. Hopefully. but uh, No guitar on this record, really. Doesn't matter. Uh, John Bellion's The Human Condition, number one.
0: Okay.
1: Pop record, so wacky. Are
0: you making notes of this? Thank you.
1: Um, I'll say this. I'll go back in time. That was... Of recent years, the most Mm, mm, mm. Uh, influential—the most influential on me and and the path that I took as a musician. Before that, I'm gonna go with Ray LaMontagne until the sun turns black. Okay, and then um that's totally a different vibe. Like the most like gorgeous like acoustic analog gutsy sad guy tell you songs that make your heart break totally different but that was a huge influence on my playing and my songwriting and what i wanted to do as an artist as a musician who applies my skill set to anything um upon that i've got two that i want to mention can i get by if i blaze through them yeah amos lee uh i think it was I, a self-titled record i think i seen you talk about this record man, online or man i before. used to take that album i mean that was when cds were I, a thing i listened to it because you you posted
0: about it or something
1: man i mean the record with uh it's very vibey i very chill. am at ease in the arms of a woman that that song and that yeah, album yeah. i think it was self-titled that's the first tune right Oh man, that was like that was later on in the in the album context. Oh, okay, but it had so many songs on it. I mean, it had a oh golly, I've I've been a big fan for, of Amos Lee for a long time, but that record by far. I'm sorry, the name of the record again. I think it was self titled. I could be self titled.
2: Okay, and what's the? Is I'm pretty Addy's, sure I know which one it was.
1: Uh, I think man, it had this one solo, like that guitar solo on Arms of a Woman. It was so like. Sultry and off and juicy, and it just—it was like, what? How can a guitar feel like that? And all of a sudden, I was like, I want to play guitar like that guy. And I Arms of
2: a Woman is on the self-titled. It's on the self-titled. That's the record. That's That's
1: the one, man. I used to take that into the car with me, and I remember I would play it on repeat all the way through. Because back then, it was only a repeat all. It was just like. You could only start the record over at the end. They didn't have like repeat track like they have now. It was repeat from the beginning to the end. And I would just leave it on repeat. Are oh, you talking then, physical vinyl? I'm talking about, no, the CD ROM, like a CD oh, okay. disc. Oh, gotcha. And uh, not ROM, but a CD. And, and then I would take it inside. I was like, oh. I would take it inside the, the, literally with me, it was my keys or my wallet. I would not go anywhere without it in my pocket, in my like jacket pocket. I would carry the CD with me as if it were my keys, as if it were my wallet. It was that important to Just me. Just in
0: case you needed to, to show, show somebody oh, or yes. remind yourself. Oh, man. Uh-huh.
1: I was like, uh, I was so obsessed. That record really meant a lot to me. Um, that would be on the Desert Island. And if I had to pick one more, it's a you, really... You can't, but go ahead. <laughs> number four, honorable mention, KD Lang, Hymns of the 49th Parallel.
0: Huge, huge KD fan.
1: That record, album and the sounds on it and the arrangements on it and her singing on it and like everything is one of the most perfect albums ever made in my opinion
0: my introduction to katie lang i think i was probably about nine or ten and my dad brought home the the reclines record with pulling back the reins trying to remain tall in the saddle Uh, yes what a great song uh So I like, I had like, I had heard that record and then like, you know, fast forward to I'm an adult and I'm like, I heard it somewhere in like, uh, I Shazam did or something. I was like, Oh yeah. I remember my dad used to listen to that. And then I just started wandering off and like, she's got some of the most progressive, like huge songs ever. Like, uh, uh, I'm going to blank on it. Uh, I've done that, that a number of times. Constant craving. Yes. The, that tune That is super progressive. Okay. Yeah. I have one last question. We okay, have let's go. less than 30 seconds for let's you to do answer it. it. All right, done. You're in the King's Court, Wren Anderson of North Car- Wilmington, North Carolina. Albert,
1: Freddie, BB, or King's X? Choose one I'm going to say BB no. King, man. He just played like he meant it, and that meant something for everybody.
0: Amen. You heard it here first and last on Gear and Beer. Make sure that you go to the links below and follow Ren on Instagram. He is a meme lord. I did not mention that earlier. He is a meme everybody lord. Everybody loves to laugh. I'm going to keep you laughing. He's a meme lord. He's got great insight, he's a fantastic dude and musician. Uh, make sure and follow and subscribe to this podcast if you do not already and uh, instagram links and all of the fun stuff will be below again my man ren anderson cheers brother cheers bro thanks
1: for having me out guys gear
0: and beer until next time Linda mccarty twisting and tweaking and (laughs) bye (laughs) thank you for listening to the gear and beer podcast Make sure and subscribe and turn on notifications for our channels. And if you haven't already, follow our Instagram and YouTube channels. We truly appreciate your support and ask that you please tell anyone you know whom you think might be interested in our podcast about gear and beer to help us grow and continue bringing in great guests from around the industry and beyond. Thanks again. And until the next episode.